I'm confused now. I don't know if we're marching to Zion or flying away or... I don't know how we're going to get there. <laughs> we'll figure it out tonight. We'll see if we can find the answer. And that's what we're looking for in uh, this series. If you're visiting with us, and we do have a number of visitors this year, we're looking at uh, questions, what people want to know about the Bible. And one of the big things that interests people in the real world is what's the end times going to be like? Uh, what's, what's the end of life and the end of time and uh, heaven and hell? And what's all they going to be like? So that's what we've been working on for a number of weeks. Uh, the big word for that is eschatology, the study of last things, the uh, end of time both for us and for, for the world. Uh, and we broke that down into understanding prophecy. We talked about the millennium. We talked about the intermediate state where we go when we die before the judgment. And last week we started talking about the second coming. We're going to finish that tonight. Then the final judgment, then heaven and hell. So those are the end time things. We'll see if we can learn some things about that perhaps. The second coming we started last week. And I prefaced all of this with making sure you understand that uh, prophetic writing is tricky. And since everything written about the second coming is written prophetically, it's a little hard to understand sometimes. And we can misunderstand it, and I may have misunderstood some of it. I've studied it quite a bit for this lesson at least to try to put things in the right order. I think I've got it. To, I think I understand it pretty well, but... I'm not going to pick any arguments with anybody. If uh, you've studied it and think you see a little different twist to things, uh, I think this fits the Bible teaching pretty well and uh, present it as a good way to look at it. Uh, but the other hand is that uh, we just want to be ready whenever, however, whatever way he decides to work it out. Uh, we got to be ready when we go, not to worry about all this second coming and Everything else. So let's get back to where we were last week. We uh, introduced the second coming with the fact that there will be a second coming. The Bible's very clear about that. Uh, when Jesus left earth and went back to heaven, the angel standing there with the apostles told them uh, this same Jesus is coming back. Coming back the same way you see him leaving. Uh, so there is going to be a second coming. Uh, we talked about whether there were going to be signs of the second coming. And I said, uh, yes and no. Uh, the answer is because, yes, there's going to be signs. And, yes, I think we can recognize them and say, well, it's getting toward the end. But we're never going to be able to say, pinpoint it and say, aha, this proves that next Wednesday, next month, next year, whatever, Jesus is coming back. Uh, the signs that we'll see are generic in a way, and in a way every generation probably can look at the world around them and say, this looks like the last times. Uh, I think Satan will be loosed toward the end. There's going to be an increased period of falsehood and of wickedness and of persecution, uh, and we see those things today. So I personally think Satan has been loosed and we're in the last days, but I can't prove that. A thousand years from now, uh, I may be proven wrong. We may still be waiting on him to come back. 
But there will be signs, but they won't be specific, identifiable signs. The Bible is very clear about that, that nobody knows the time. We cannot know the time. Even the angels don't know the time. Uh, so no one knows. Now, the event of his coming, which is what we started talking about last time, the event is going to be something. The second coming itself is going to be quite a day. And it's going to be a day. It's going to be an hour, actually, it says. There's going to be a time when he comes back. He's not going to come back secretly and then come back seven years later and come back after this and that. He's going to come back once. The second coming will be an amazing thing. The words the New Testament uses for it are epiphania, uh, an appearance, uh, uh, kind of a grand appearance actually. Apocalypsis, a revelation, an uncovering, and parousia, his coming or his presence. They use that for the coming of a king. Uh, Compare that to his first coming. His first coming, he was veiled in flesh. And nobody made a big deal about the king of heaven coming to earth. When he comes back the second time, it's going to be a grand epiphany, an apocalypsis, a, a perusia that's going to get everybody's attention. He is going to come in a manner where everyone will see him. We went over this just a little bit last time, but we're on the second page now, his appearance. And, and it tells us that everyone on earth will see him accompanied by all his angels, all his angels in flaming fire. Now, we don't know how that's going to work, how he's going to appear to everybody in one split second, or it's going to take, he's going to make a tour of the earth where everybody will see him. Uh, he can work that out any way he wants. He dreamed up time. He dreamed up human minds. He dreamed up human vision. He can handle it however he wants. But everybody's going to see him. And there's going to be three distinct sounds. Uh, He's going to say something. He's going to have a cry or a command. The archangels are going to shout something. And the trumpet of God is going to sound. And we pointed out last week that the trumpet sound is kind of a neat allusion uh, to the, the Old Testament days. Whenever they blew the trumpet, that was a sign for the Israelites that we're ready to move out. When the trumpet sounded, it meant that the priests were supposed to start packing the tabernacle up, and they loading up, and they were going to another place. And when the trumpet sounds this time, uh, along with the cry of the Lord himself and the cry of the archangel, uh, we are moving on to a different place. Uh, there's going to be some time involved, because the wicked are going to have time to try to get out of it. The Bible tells us when he comes, the wicked are going to hide They're going to try to avoid it. They're going to finally realize that this is the time of wrath, and they're going to ask the mountains to fall on them. So there's going to be some time involved here where the wicked can do something. Uh, Then I believe after, or coincidental with his appearance and how this time frame works, I don't know, but with his appearance, I think all of the wicked are going to die. And we don't talk about that too much, but I think the Bible's pretty clear about it, really. Uh, I think, personally, that that's what his shout is going to be. When he cries out, I I think all the wicked are going to die. Whether uh, 
Well, let's just read 2 Thessalonians 2.8. We're going to try to explain that, but this will be easier. Let's just read 2 Thessalonians 2.8. And I know I'm saying a lot of things that you don't have time to look up all these scriptures and all that. That's why they're on your handout. You can look them up later and see if they make sense to you. Uh, 2 Thessalonians 2.8. And then the lawless ones will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming. Remember last week we talked about how the wicked would grow and Satan would be loosed and there would be more falsehood and there would be more people uh, purveying wickedness. Uh, Paul tells us Thessalonians, that they're going to be destroyed with the breath of his mouth and the splendor of his coming. So I believe on at that point, uh, the wicked are going to all die. We don't read anything anywhere about living wicked after his appearance. We'll see as we get down here a little bit that we've got righteous people in the grave and we've got righteous people still alive. And they're going to be transformed, but doesn't say anything about wicked living. Uh, that's all over right here. So I think all of the, the wicked at that point, they're going to die. They're going to suffer that physical death. Then going to come the resurrection of the dead. Okay, now this is not that confusing, but it is confused by all of the end time, I mean, uh, left behind series and all of the premillennial stuff that we have to read. The resurrection of the dead is pretty clear in the Bible. Uh, all of the dead are going to be resurrected. Okay? There's a whole lot of dead people in graves out there right now, and there's going to be more when the Lord comes. And all of them are going to be resurrected. Uh, they're going to be reunited with their resurrection bodies, just kind of look ahead, and they'll leave the earth. Now, here's where we get this. Acts 24, 15 says, There will be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. Okay. So you read the Left Behind series, and the righteous are going to come out of their graves and go up with Jesus secretly and all that, and the dead will still be in their graves and all that. That's not possible. If you read Acts 24, 15, there will be a resurrection, the righteous and the wicked. John 5 makes it even clearer, 28 and 29, an hour is coming. A time is coming. Well, you can point to it on your watch. Uh, it, an hour is coming in which all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good will rise to live. Those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. John makes it real clear. Both the righteous and the wicked coming out of the grave, same time. Okay, That day, this day of the second coming, this day of the Lord, the Bible calls it all sorts of things, uh, but that day is going to be when our body is redeemed, is one way of talking about it. Romans 8.23 talks about that. Now, our spirits have already been redeemed. Our spirits are redeemed at baptism. When the Holy Spirit works in our inner man and redeems our spirit. Uh, that takes place when we 
die and rise again with Christ in baptism. Uh, we are perfected, our spirits, at our physical death. We already talked about that intermediate state and how that works. Our, our spirits are with Christ in paradise. Covered that a couple of weeks ago. Now, our bodies, they're not perfected yet. They need to be redeemed. They've been buried or lost at sea or wherever they are. They're gone. And they need to be perfected. And that's what Romans 8.23 is going to happen. So it's going to happen on this day. Okay. Now, at the second coming, we're told in Matthew 27 that uh, the saint... Oh, no. Jump down too far. Second coming, First Thessalonians 4.14. God's going to bring with him... Those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. So when he comes a second time, he's going to bring those that are in paradise with him. Our perfected spirits, which we talked about a couple of weeks ago, are, are going to come back and they're going to join our redeemed bodies, which are coming up out of the grave. Okay? Now if you're worried about... Well, what if they've been cremated or what if they've been uh, lost at sea or eaten by lions or whatever? God can handle that. He created us out of dust the first time. He can do it again perfectly fine. Some people think he will create a new kind of resurrection body. That's okay with me too. I wouldn't fight about it a whole lot. But if he wants to bring it out of the grave, which he says he's going to do, he can do it. He's going to bring it up. What's it going to look like? You're getting ahead of me here. Well, Paul talks about that in just a little while. Okay, let's make sure we understand. There's going to be one resurrection. Premillennialism's got all of these different resurrections happening at different times. And, uh, dead Jews coming up at one time and wicked people at another time and all that. No, the, the only verse they've got that gives them anything to talk about there is... 1 Thessalonians 4.16, which says the dead in Christ will rise first. A classic example of taking a verse out of context. He's not talking about the dead in Christ rising one day and seven years later somebody else rising. He's talking about the resurrection day, the day of his second coming. And the reason he wrote Thessalonians was because the people in Thessalonica were nervous about some of their... Church members dying. They said, what's going to happen? Okay, Kind of put it in modern terms. Think if Paul had been here and told us in the first century, Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming soon. Okay. And then he goes away. Well, next week we have a funeral. Somebody's going to say, whoa, old brother so-and-so. He died before Jesus came back. So they didn't understand this timeline thing. Okay, So they got nervous and asked Paul about it. And Paul says, you don't need to worry about that. There's going to be people die before Jesus comes back. But they won't, we won't beat them to heaven. And some people thought if you died before Jesus came back, you wouldn't get to heaven. So Paul said, don't worry about that. We won't get there before them. They're going to rise first, in fact. They're going to come out of their grave first before the living in Christ are changed. 
So you read that passage, First Thessalonians 4, it's very clear. That's all he's talking about is that he's not saying anything about the wicked dead. Okay. So you forget all that left behind stuff. The only other verse they got, and I just put these in there for you for defense, is Revelation 25 does talk about a first resurrection. Well, if you remember, there was a resurrection early on, way back. 2,000 years ago, what happened when Jesus died? There's some folks came out of their grave. Some saints, some martyrs or somebody came out of their grave and walked around. I admit it's a strange thing, but it was a sign. It got the Jews' attention. You know, I mean, they're walking down the street thinking everything's normal, and old Zachariah walks past them that they went to his funeral a few years ago. They know something's going on. Okay, So there was that resurrection. And we, we were told about saints being with Christ in uh, the interim state and all that. So I think that's them. I think that was the first resurrection is the most likely explanation of that. And they've been reigning with Christ during the millennium ever since. Okay, now, the resurrection body. Everybody wants to know what that's going to look like. What's it going to be like? Well, that's exactly what... The Corinthians wanted to know. 1 Corinthians 15, 35. 1 Corinthians is a book of questions. Paul was just answering questions. And when he gets to chapter 15, he says, here's one of your questions. How are the dead raised? He quotes their question. It's what they'd written to him. How are the dead raised and with what kind of body do they come? Okay. That's what folks wanted to know. 2,000 years ago, that's what folks still want to know today. So, here's how Paul explained it. Well, first he said in Philippians, he said that Jesus will transform our lowly bodies so they'll be like his glorious body. So it's going to change somehow. But he goes into much more detail in 1 Corinthians 15. In fact, he makes a little bit of fun of them for asking this question. He says it's going to be like planting a seed. Now, when you plant a seed, what do you expect to get? Something exactly like the seed? There's a few plants that do that. If you plant a kernel of corn, you get a whole bunch of kernels of corn. It looks a lot different. I mean, it the plant that tall, and it's a long ear, and it's got a whole bunch of kernels inside the husk and all that. So it's way, way different. But at least it's got that corn kernel there. Think of a watermelon. How different is a watermelon seed from a watermelon fruit? If I laid on the table, and you were from Mars somewhere and didn't know, if I laid a watermelon seed and a watermelon would you say, oh, yeah, those are the same thing? No, you'd say, where'd that come from? Well, I came from that. Whoa, how'd that happen? That's a God thing. That's what Paul tells him in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, you want to know what the body's going to be like and how we're going to be raised? I'm telling you, it's like a seed. It's going to be different. It's going to be considerably different. Now, 
we think, since Stephen recognized Jesus up in heaven at the right hand of God, we think that our shape and form may be kind of similar to what we had on earth. But how much different it looks, I don't know, but it's going to be very different. Uh, It may be a completely different molecular makeup because it's for a different world. This one is made for this world. This one doesn't survive in other worlds. You take this one to the bottom of the sea, well, you just take it down 100 feet or so, and it doesn't do well. You take this one to the moon, unprotected, and it doesn't do well. So it may be a completely different molecular makeup. I think it will probably look somewhat same shape and form. Uh, But I got no proof of that except Stephen recognizing Jesus. Uh, Some people picture resurrection as just the rotted corpses coming up out of the ground and taking form again and getting flesh. And all of a sudden they look just like they did before except they're floating up. Uh, It's going to be a different kind of flesh. That's the other argument Paul makes. He says there's different kinds of flesh. He said there's human flesh and there's animal flesh. They're way different. He said body, human body flesh, physical body flesh, and spiritual body flesh, different kinds of flesh. One has much more of a splendor to it. He goes into more explanation uh, toward the end of 15 in 42 through 44. He says the resurrection body is going to be imperishable. He says what what you bury is is perishable. It wears out. It's subject to disease. It dies. That's why you bury it. It got wore out. The new one's going to be imperishable. He said the new one's going to be glorious instead of dishonorable. The old one was falling apart. It ages. It got physical defects. It got all kinds of problems. The new one's going to be glorious. It's not having those problems. Some of you old folks are thinking this sounds good. It ought to sound good. That's the point. It's going to be a whole lot better. Yeah. He says it's going to be powerful instead of weak. And whatever we need for eternal life, that's what this body is going to be able to do. And he said mainly it's going to be spiritual instead of natural. It's going to be made for heaven's environment, not for earth's environment. Okay, so the dead are going to come out of the grave. The body is going to be... Uh, turned into a resurrection body, and it's going up to meet the already redeemed spirit of those who have died. Now, while all this is going on, there's a bunch of living people standing on earth. Let's say he comes at 638 tonight. All of us are still going to be here, I think. Some of you were thinking about slipping out for some reason, but now you're going to stay, aren't you? Okay. (laughs) If he did come right now, 
all these things I just talked about would happen. We would hear him shouting. We'd hear the archangel shouting. We'd hear the trumpet. The lights would probably be coming through the windows so bright that we knew something was going on out there. We'd probably go out in the yard to look. I don't know if we can see a cemetery from here, but we would see bodies coming out of it. We'd see Jesus coming in his glory with his flaming angels. And they would have the spirits of all the redeemed. And we're standing on earth watching that. While all that's happening, what's going to happen then is he's going to transform us. That's the next step, the transformation of the living. We will not die. Wicked are already dead. Some of you might be gone when he comes. Whew. Never thought of that before. That's a scary thought. Might have to get somebody to finish the sermon. That's even worse. But the righteous will still be alive. So you think about this. You think of weird things. The, the righteous will still be living. We won't have to die. But we're going to have our physical bodies replaced by those eternal models. Now, I don't know if I'm going to look next to you and recognize you or not. I think I will. I think I'll think you're looking better. Because it's going to be imperishable and glorious and spiritual and all those other things we talked about. Uh, and it's going to be transformed then. 1 Corinthians 15, 51 through 52 explains that. We get our new model body without having to die or spend time in the grave. That's good stuff. Now, we're standing there in our new bodies watching all this. What's the last thing that happens? We get raptured up. Okay, some of you think, I heard that rapture is not in the Bible. No, the word rapture is not in the Bible. The concept is in the Bible. Rapture means nothing except being caught up or transported. Okay? Elijah was raptured. He was caught up. He was transported. Okay? So that's all that word means. That's not the secret rapture that the premillennialists talk about. It's not what the bumper stickers talk about, that the rapture happens, this car is going to be empty and all that stuff. No, this is just a simple catching up of the folks left on earth. We will be caught up to heaven. First Thessalonians four sixteen and 17. The dead in Christ will rise first. After that... We who are still alive and are left will be caught up with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we'll be with the Lord forever. The Lord's never coming to earth. He's not coming back to Jerusalem. He's not setting foot on earth. He's coming back in the air. All of this is going to happen. Last step, we will be caught up to be with everybody that else that's already up there. And now the earth is empty. Okay? We got it ready. We we got all the wicked up there. We got all the righteous up there. We got all the bodies up there. Uh, There's nothing left here. No human occupants are left. Dead, alive, righteous, wicked, no kind down here. Earth is completely empty. It is ready for its great destruction by fire. You want to learn how that works? 2 Peter 3, 10 through 13. Don't even destroy the elements. Okay? All of this is going away. Okay? Now, 
we're up there. All of those things I just described happened. We're up there, and the next thing that happens is a couple weeks from now. The second judgment. I mean, the, the, the final judgment, not the second judgment. The final judgment. Okay? All that's been prepared, we, we get everybody off the earth. Lord has caught us up. The wicked uh, understand that he is Lord now. They had their chance to beg for uh, hiding, and they didn't get it. Everything's over. We're up there ready for judgment, and we'll talk about the second judgment in a couple of weeks. I'm going to make a Know Your Bible trip, trip next Sunday night, but... Uh, week after that I'll be back and we'll tackle the second judgment. So appreciate your attention. Uh, hopefully, hearing all that and thinking about it, I was thinking while we were singing these songs, I said, I, I bet I'm liking these songs better than everybody else. Uh, because I'm thinking, hey, that's exactly what's going to happen. This is really going to be neat. Uh, so the more we think about it and know about it, the more we can rejoice looking forward to it, perhaps. The lesson is yours. If you have some need to respond this evening, we'll invite you to come. Uh, let's stand and sing.